American military veterans are saluted and thanked for their service, but very few understand military culture, values, or the people who serve. This is We Salute by the Open Source, a podcast about the St. Louis region's military veterans. More than 200,000 of these incredible people live in our community. I'm your host, Dick Hewlett, and we'll be back in a minute. This We Salute episode is sponsored by the National Drug Card, America's number one discount prescription choice. The National Drug Card saves money on all FDA-approved drugs for the uninsured, high co-payers, and meds that are not covered by insurance. The free National Drug Card even saves on pet meds. Go to WeSaluteVets.com. There you'll find the link for more information. Share what you've learned about the National Drug Card with friends, family, and pet owners. The National Drug Card is accepted nationwide at nearly all pharmacies. Remember, the National Drug Card is absolutely free. Just print and submit to your pharmacist. The link to more information is on the We Salute website, WeSaluteVets.com. The Vietnam War was a long and divisive conflict. It pitted North and South Vietnam against each other. Allied to South Vietnam, the United States entered the war in an attempt to slow the spread of communism. More than 58,000 drafted Americans died in the battle. Why should three presidents and the elected representatives of our people have chosen to defend this Asian nation more than 10,000 miles from American shores. We cherish freedom, yes. We cherish self-determination for all people, yes. We abhor the political murder of any state by another and the bodily murder of any people by gangsters of whatever ideology. And for 27 years, since the days of Lend-Lease, we have sought to strengthen free people against domination by aggressive foreign powers. But the key to all that we have done is really our own security. At times of crisis, before asking Americans to fight and die to resist aggression in a foreign land, every American president has finally had to answer this question. Is the aggression a threat not only to the immediate victim, but to the United States of America and to the peace and security of the entire world of which we in America are a very vital part. That is the question which Dwight Eisenhower and John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson had to answer. This We Salute is about someone who fought in that war. He's well known in the region as a business leader, community partner, and family man. I'll introduce you in just a moment. This We Salute episode is sponsored by the National Drug Card. America's number one discount prescription choice. The National Drug Card saves money on all FDA-approved drugs for the uninsured, high co-payers, and meds that are not covered by insurance. The free National Drug Card even saves on pet meds. 
go to WeSaluteVets.com. There you'll find the link for more information. Share what you've learned about the National Drug Card with friends, family, and pet owners. The National Drug Card is accepted nationwide at nearly all pharmacies. Remember, the National Drug Card is absolutely free. Just print and submit to your pharmacist. The link to more information is on the We Salute website, WeSaluteVets.com. Depending on your age, you'll remember Lindenbush, Lincoln, Mercury on South Kings Highway, or maybe Lindenbush, Chevrolet in Waterloo, Illinois. Carwin Lindenbush was a military scout during the Vietnam War. He, like so many others, will never forget that horrific experience. Carwin is participating in this podcast because he wants to talk about Vietnam and how that war impacts him today. Carwin, welcome to The Open Source. Thank you very much. Glad to have you here. How old were you when you were drafted into the service? I would have been 22. I had already graduated from college, and I was working for, uh, at that time, what they called McDonnell Douglas. For some strange reason, I had a, a top-secret security clearance with him because, again, we did a lot of military stuff, mm-hmm. and I had a military deferment from them. And uh, for some unknown reason, um, the deferment got canceled, and I got drafted. You went from civilian life into military. What was that whole process like? I was... Uh, I was not a good military person. Um, I was pretty independent. It was a little difficult for me to accept orders that didn't make any sense to me. And they did that, I guess they did that to instill discipline into the ranks. And again, I was a college graduate when I went into the military. And Probably 90%, maybe closer to 95% of all the guys that I was in basic training with were just out of high school. So they were 17, 18, 19 years old that had gotten drafted and did not make it into college to get a, a deferment. So, again, I was not a good military person at that time. Even though you had the military experience with McDonnell Douglas, that's interesting. So you went through basic training, and where did you go from there? I went to basic training at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and then I did my AIT, which is your advanced training, at Fort Sill in Oklahoma. They put me into artillery. I was, you had mentioned at the beginning, as a scout now. Scouts were more out in the infantry. I was what they called a forward observer. And I would, um, if they if they found an enemy, a large pack of enemy, we would call in either artillery or gunships before the infantry went in to soften the, the blow before the infantry guys went in. So you were a forward observer. Is that pretty much undercover and... How how does that actually work? Yes. Yeah, you didn't want to be out too noticeable to be truthful with you um, because you'd have a large radio, and the radio had a huge antenna sticking up um, in order for you to broadcast back 
and forth from the main base. And the Vietnamese were smart enough to uh, target the antenna. So you put your antenna up and made your call and did what you needed to do. And then you tried to take it down as best you could because they could sight on that antenna. So it was, uh, I guess, nerve-wracking would be the... But I didn't realize it until I, I saw some other people get into trouble that same way. You just did your job. That's all that happened. Well, how long was your tour of duty there? I was in Vietnam 18 months. Actually, that's like a time and a half. The normal was 12 months. But they had a process where if you were in a uh, war zone and you had less than six months left after you got out of the war zone, you automatically got out of the military. And so that's what I did. So I was there for a year, and then I signed up for another six months. And then the day I got back from Vietnam, I was out of the military. Tell me about leaving Vietnam. What what were the last couple of days like when you left? Last couple of days were always frightening. They put you at a big, large base camp so they can send you on a plane but you're still you're still in a a war zone and truthfully um the only time that you really feel like you've left vietnam was when the plane that took you there got you out of the air zone where they couldn't I couldn't take you down. And a funny thing, um, they, they, we didn't fly military. We flew uh, commercial. They rented planes for everybody. Um, and as we got into the air zone where everybody knew we were safe, everybody sang that Peter, Paul, and Mary song. Um, what are trying to think of? Leaving on a jet plane? Yeah. <laughs> the whole plane... The whole plane started singing that on the way home. Wow, how dramatic. Then I got to, uh, I got to Oakland, uh, where I was discharged, um, and they go through a process. They, uh, you take a physical, make sure you didn't come back with any, any diseases or anything, malaria or any of the social diseases that were prevalent. They gave you a new uniform because we all came back in our... Uh, in our military uh, fatigues from Vietnam. And then they gave us a speech about, you know, when you come back in, you're going to be different people. You know, we don't really want you to talk about the war too much, but if you have any trouble, call the VA. Um, and, then the, and then the shocker to me was they said, there's a store right next door to where they discharged us. And they said they sell civilian clothes there. And they said, we would recommend that you go over there and pack your military clothes in a bag and wear civilian clothes off the base. They said there are so many protesters out there that they would be afraid of either me getting in a conflict or they having a conflict. Really, really shocked me after you know, being in a war zone. And uh, at that time, what I thought protecting freedom for all these people to tell us what kind of 
of a bad person I was because I was over there. But I said, no, nah, I made it through 18 months without getting seriously hurt. I'm going to walk through the crowd. So that's what I did. Got on a plane, came home. No interaction with any of the protesters? They harassed us, you know, but it was verbal. It was nothing. They were not confrontational. It was bothersome, but not enough that it upset me more that they were out there rather than fighting for the country. They were protestants. So you've landed in St. Louis. How long did it take and how hard was it to reacclimate to normal civilian life? Boy, now there's a there's an interesting question. To be truthful, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I really ever got over Vietnam. Believe it or not, um, it hasn't happened in a while, but I still got a few flashbacks at, at night. Nothing serious, you know. I mean, it was just enough to to wake me up and realize, you know, where I'd been. But to get back. At that time, my father owned a Lincoln Mercury store, um, and that's a long story if you ever want to get into that. <laughs> and he wanted me to come into business with him. At the time that I was in college, I had worked at the, at that time, was a Studebaker dealership. I did all the warranty claims, and I did the, the uh, parts uh, inventories. And so I just knew more about the car business than anything in the world. But my father said, hey, you're, I, you're not going to inherit this. Go get yourself an education. Go get yourself a job. And, you know, and then you'll be on your own. So I said, okay. So, again, I had a, I went to Parks College, which was in Cahokia, part of St. Louis University. And I got a degree in aerospace engineering. That's how I got to McDonnell Douglas. But then when I got back from Vietnam, he was totally different. He was so excited, and he said, would you come into business with me? And and so that's what I did. I took about, um, I think I took about 60 days off, just sort of wind down and eat regular food and take, a, take hot showers. <laughs> um, Tell you what, in a minute, let's talk about your health. We'll take a break, and we'll be back in just a minute. Located in St. Louis, The Open Source produces community-focused content. Everything that is published by The Open Source is about fulfilling the positive mission. The Open Source showcases the story of our neighbors in an effort to help everyone achieve and thrive. The Open Source TV streams on Roku, and the podcasts are available wherever you listen. Help The Open Source grow by sharing this episode. Thank you for listening. Cartwin Linda Bush is our guest, and over the past years, you've been in the fight for your life. Uh, I know you want the audience to hear about your experience. What have you been going through, and what's the cause? I guess, well, it'll be uh, four years come this Thanksgiving. I had surgery the day before Thanksgiving in 2019. Prior to that, I had some terrible, terrible uh, Stomach pains, probably about July of 19. And um, 
my wife is a nurse, and so she said, man, there's something going on here. So she took me to the emergency room, and they did a CAT scan, and they found a, a large tumor. And at that time, they didn't, they didn't, they just knew how big it was. They didn't know where it was attached to. So I had um, four months of chemo surgery, and that's rough stuff. The only good thing I can say about it is I didn't lose my hair. So <laughs> my grandkids didn't know it was as bad as what it was. So then again, I had uh, surgery. I took out my uh, took out my bladder, took out my prostate, and then I took out my adrenal glands. Um, and at that time, they thought that they had gotten anything. With cancer, you don't really know. Um, I went back every couple of months for checkouts and things of that nature. But the chemo had affected the kidneys. And so then I ended up with a kidney disease. And they got that cured up. And they don't know if there's a relevance. Again, my wife's in health there, and she thought that there was. She's in oncology, and I had a heart attack. Wow. So uh, they put uh, put two stents in. Um, sorry if I'm making this a long story, but about two weeks after they put the stents in, I had a severe, severe, I don't know what you would call it. It wasn't an attack, but I couldn't, I didn't feel like I was in my own body. I felt like I was a foot above it. And they found two blood clots on my lungs. And they said that the blood clots are not too unusual after they put in the stents. So basically, you know, that's where I ended up. Uh, I, I go in every six months to the oncology and to the cardiac and to the kidney guys. And... Um, I seem to think that everything is going to be okay. I, again, with the bladder and everything, I, I didn't. I had a very tough recuperation time. They had, uh, they had stuffed me full of uh, steroids, and it, uh, it weakened all my muscles, so I couldn't walk. I couldn't use my arms, or didn't have much strength in them. And I'm still not. I'm still in a partial wheelchair. It's been almost a year since I've walked hmm. by myself without a walker. But where I was headed was beings like that. I read a lot. Um, I subscribed to the uh, Weekend New York Times, and there was an article in the New York Times magazine that um, talked about Agent Orange and how the VA had done some research on it. And they said that there there was some factual data to say that this Agent Orange was so strong that if you concocted it, it could be handed down generations. So it scared me for my grandkids. So I went to the VA, and they went through some procedures. And they went through where I was stationed in Vietnam. And they they would not 100% say, hey, this is where it came from. Um, but they said there was a large likelihood 
that that's where I got the cancer. And VA was very good. Let me let me step back. Um, I took responsibility. I got a small pension from them for it. I give it back in a minute to get my health back. But sure. again, they were they were very responsive to to knowing that I was affected by the Agent Orange. For those younger folks who are listening that don't understand about Agent Orange, can you tell us what that was, how it was used in the war? You have to get a little bit of a background in in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. There was there was what they called elephant grass, which was it would grow to be three, four, sometimes five feet tall. And it was all around in Vietnam. Um, and it was tall enough that the Viet Cong could hide in the elephant grass. And you wouldn't see them until they either shot at you or a helicopter or somebody would come by from the sky and see them. So you couldn't see them from your bunker uh, until, again, they shot at you. So what the military came up with, or the chemical company came up with, was this Agent Orange, which was a defoliage that they would take a a plane or a helicopter and they would spray this like a huge dust over the this elephant grass and it would kill the elephant grass so then the vietnamese couldn't hide in it um and they did that any place around where there was uh some kind of an army base or anything that had a a good number of military and it wasn't just it wasn't just army it was also the marines and so they would they would spray this and it would kill the grass and therefore the vietnamese the Viet Cong couldn't hide in it so that's a basis for it for more information let's listen to this news clip monsanto a major american manufacturer of herbicides was tasked with producing the required chemical agents for the military The most harmful chemical agent used was called Agent Orange, named after the orange-colored stripe on the 200-liter barrels in which it was stored. Planes and helicopters sprayed this dangerous chemical over the lush green land of Vietnam, targeting both forests to prevent hiding and farmland to destroy food sources. The defoliation resulted in trees dying turning the once vibrant forests into dry, lifeless brown landscapes. It wasn't just the trees that suffered. People also became victims of these chemicals. Agent Orange was a mixture of highly toxic herbicides, specifically phenoxyherbicides, consisting of 2,4-D and 2,4-5-T. The most harmful component of Agent Orange was dioxin which is toxic to the immune system, damaging soft tissues in the respiratory and digestive systems, as well as the liver and skin. Well, we certainly appreciate your talking about your, your health issues, and we certainly wish you well. Carwin Lindenbush, we salute you for your service to the country and your positive impact on the St. Louis region and your willingness to be transparent about your health in order to help other people. Thank you so much for your time. 
You're very welcome. Thank you. This has been another We Salute episode. To listen to more shows, go to WeSaluteVets.com. I'm your host, Dick Hewlett. Thank you for listening.